Welcome to the Trinity Western University Chapel podcast. It is our prayer that these chapel talks would bless your heart and they would draw you closer to our Lord. We offer them to the glory of God and for the good of the world. I want to talk to you this morning about living faithfully with technology in a sermon called Tech Talk Part 2. It's supposed to resonate with TikTok. Um, but I want to talk about Tech Talk. I want to talk specifically about the technology that is likely either in your hand right now or buzzing in your pocket right now, your back or your front. That technology, that extension of ourselves, as Dr. Friesen was saying on Monday, um, called the smartphone or the iPhone. This extension of ourselves, that if you think about it, can give us a sense of omniscience that we're all knowing because I can go into my phone and I can find out just about anything I want. This extension of our bodies that could be considered to give us a sense of omnipresence, that we can be in all places at all times because I can be available anywhere almost in the world at any time and be reached by my family or my friends and the like of that. I want to talk about one very specific element of this technology, though, and what I think we can learn from it today. But before I do that, allow me to just share with you a brief little story, a cute little story that I heard uh, on reading break. You know, I went away to Mexico on reading break. Sometimes you get Saskatoon in the winter for holidays. Sometimes you get Mexico. This time I got Mexico. It was quite wonderful. I met an older gentleman named Craig there who shared with me a story that I found rather interesting. Craig was originally from the UK, and he had developed a relationship with another gentleman when he was in his 60s somewhere, I think it was, um, and they shared a love for scotch whiskey. And um, this guy invited him over to the house. He said, you know what, I've got a lot of scotch whiskey, and I love to share it with people. Why don't you come over to my house, and we'll share a glass of scotch whiskey? And so Craig said, that sounds wonderful. Goes over to his house on a Saturday at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And indeed, they walk into this room, and there's a wall full of scotch and various kinds of whiskey. And the guy says, you want to play a game? And Craig says, sure, I love games. And he says, okay, well, how about this? I'm going to go out of the room. You pick any bottle off the shelf that you want, pour yourself a little bit, pour me a little bit, and then I'll come back in the room when you holler at me, put the bottle back on the shelf before I come in, and I'm going to guess what the scotch is. And so Craig said, that sounds like a lot of fun, and I love to pick which scotch we're going to drink, and so indeed they did this. The guy goes out of the room, Craig goes forth, gets a bottle of 30-year-old or 40-year-old scotch, the nicest he can find. He pours a little bit for himself and for the other chap, puts it back, calls him in, he comes in, the guy grabs his glass, smells it, pauses for a moment, takes a little sip on the front of his tongue, and then he puts it back further in his mouth, kind of swishes it around and gargles it. He's like, 1976 McClellan, that bottle right over there. Craig's like, wow, that is impressive, incredible. Hey, he says, this other guy, why don't you come back next week and we'll do the same thing. Craig says, awesome. They do this week in, week out for several months. Finally, Craig is becoming suspicious because this guy has a 100% track record. And so one day, after his friend goes out, his new Scotch friend, he follows him and he discovers that he has made a hole in the wall whereby he can see exactly what glass, what bottle is being pulled from the shelf and poured out. 
he's been observing Craig this whole time without Craig being aware that he is being observed. Craig says, ha, 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 I see the game that you're playing. You're actually peeking on me. He was never invited to this guy's house again. I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about this reality about being observed and being able to observe others. Because if you think about your smartphones, never in the history of the world have we been as able to put ourselves out there to be observed and to observe others than we are with the power that our technology, our smartphones have given us. And here's, and here's one of the things. Remember, Dr. Friesen said uh, last week, or last week, I say last week, last Monday, he said that it's with, when we think about technology, it's not so much that we have to make a determination of whether it's good or bad. Rather, we need to develop an awareness of how it's impacting us. And I'd like to play with that awareness piece a little bit, okay? An awareness not so much of how our smartphones are impacting us, but this. An awareness of how our smartphones are revealing something about us. Because they're revealing something about us that's very deep and very profound. I want to suggest to you that our smartphones are revealing to us a paradox about human nature that is a problem and that only the gospel solves. Okay, so three parts that I want to move through in about seven minutes. The paradox about human nature that our smartphones reveal that is a problem, a genuine problem, and that only the gospel, I believe, solves. And when I say it's revealing a paradox, I mean it has the potential to reveal this. It will reveal this problem in some of our lives more than others of our lives. So what is the paradox? What is a paradox to begin with? Well, a paradox is when you have two truths. They are both true, but they appear mutually exclusive. It appears like two things shouldn't fit together or belong together, and yet they do belong together. So let's talk about two realities that are revealed by the smartphone. What do our smartphones reveal? I believe on the one hand, our use of the smartphones and the way that we're using them reveal that we have a terror, that there is the terror of the unobserved life. What does that phrase mean? Well, I got this phrase as I was reading existentialist psychologists. And it's quite poignant the way this existentialist psychologist described it. By the way, existential psychologists, in contradistinction to others, look at um, your problems as problems of existence. Is what I am doing throughout the watches of the day, does it actually matter if nobody is actually watching me? It's the terror of the unobserved life. And I think the way that we use our cell phones or the way that we want to use our smartphones or the way that we get anxious about using our smartphones can reveal this terror of the unobserved life as well. Not for all of us, but for some of us. Why is it that we want a Facebook page where we can reveal ourselves to others? Why is it that if I can't reveal myself on my phone, I begin to feel anxious? Why is it that if others aren't responding to us in a timely fashion, that is to say, observing what we've put out there, we could become stressed, depressed, filled with anxiety? I remember my little nephew when he first got an iPhone, that he would put a text out there or he would present a picture about himself out there. And if he didn't get 
almost an instantaneous response. He began to become gripped with fear, and he would have a panic attack. It was this terror of the unobserved life. We were made to know others and be known by others. We are made for deep and profound connection with others. It is the pathway to human flourishing. So it's no surprise if we feel that others aren't seeing us truly, if we aren't truly being known, that we begin to feel like we're unraveling inside. Something within us feels profoundly disconnected. So on the one hand, we have this terror of the unobserved life, but here's the paradox that I also think is shown forth in our smartphones, is that we don't only have the terror of the unobserved life, we have the terror of the truly and authentically observed life. Let me ask you a question. Why is it that there are certain things you will post online, on your Facebook page, on Instagram, and not other things? What is your criteria of selection? Isn't it true that our smartphones have given us, given us this unbelievable power actually to curate our image? I get to have control to present to you only what I want you to see. <laughs> On the one hand, I have the terror of the unobserved life, but I believe that the smartphones reveal or can reveal that I have the terror of the observed life too. I curate my image of myself, and the problem that boils out of this is the following. I desperately need to be known in order to flourish as a human being, and at the same time, my smartphone has given me power to prevent myself from being truly known. It's given me an ability to control the way that I am presenting myself, what I reveal about myself, to the extent that I can feel deeply and profoundly disconnected Social scientists have said recently, and they've been saying for a while now, that we are, your generation is, we are the most connected we have ever been in history. Simultaneously, we are the most disconnected we have ever been in history. Social scientists have also noticed a direct, profound, and um, undeniable correlation between the advent of the smartphone and escalating increasing rates among young people of depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation. It's also been noticed that for some who do use their social media accounts a lot and have gotten used to this degree of control, that when they come into real life situations, it's very, very difficult because I'm out of control if I'm one-on-one -on -one with you and you can ask me direct questions and I have to answer them in real time. So it's created a problem. On the one hand, we have a terror of the unobserved life, but we also have a terror of the observed life. We want to be known desperately and need to in order for human flourishing, but we've been given a degree of control where we can curate our image and so we aren't truly known and we feel disconnected. So what's the solution to this? The solution is not, by the way, and I'm not saying this, that you need to reveal everything about you, your deepest, darkest secrets on your telephone, on your social media. I think that's highly inadvisable. But in order to feel secure with other people, in order to go deeper in our relationships with others, how do we get to the place of feeling safe enough to do that if we are anxious, if we are depressed, if we find social situations different? Emily, where's Emily? Did you know that I was gonna preach on Psalm 139? Oh, okay, you did. I thought it was an accident. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Anyways, what we need to do 
the solution is to go to Psalm 139. We need to go to the gospel as it's seen flickering in Psalm 139 because what happens there? We need to know that somebody actually does know absolutely positively everything about us and there's nothing that is not known about us. We actually, in the first instance, if we're going to overcome the problem of this paradox, we need to see that we are seen. We need to actually experience the terror of being known inside and out, outside and in. There is not a moment of privacy from God, as Jeff Thomas put it. We are always being watched, as Neil Plantinga put it. Job called God a watcher of men. And this can be a formidable truth. We cannot escape God's gaze. According to David in Psalm 139, whether we get up to grab a coffee or sit down to drink it, whether we're thinking high thoughts or low thoughts, whether we climb a mountain or descend into a depression, whether we're here or there, God knows us. Quote, he knows when we sit and when we rise, he perceives our thoughts from afar. It doesn't matter if we're going out to a wedding or coming in from a funeral, if our ways are crooked or straight or painfully out of date. It doesn't matter if we're up, down, in, out, around, about. God knows us. David says he knows our going out and our coming in. He's familiar with all our ways. As Neil Plantinga has said, God knows about the pain we're having in the third top molar at the back of our mouth. And there's no place where we can escape God's gaze. Even if we try, we can run from a city, a thought, the truth about ourselves. We can run from a job, an old friend, or a painful marriage, but we cannot run from God. Heaven or hell, excitement or anguish, pleasure or pain, there is God. As David says, if I go up into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I go to the far side of the sea, there, O oh Lord, your hand is with me. God is, in short, friends, inescapable unavoidable, bidden or bidden, as one community puts it, God is present. You can't run from him. You can't hide from him. You can't sleep him away. God can't be outwitted, outfoxed, or outmaneuvered. You can't outsmart God. Working, clubbing, or shopping in the basement or the roof, the bathroom or the den, the hospital or the hostel, a cave or an inn, awake or asleep, there is God. You cannot dodge the undodgeable. And Job quakes, is terrified under this gaze. What is man that you make so much of him, that you give him so much attention, that you examine him every morning and test him every moment? Will you never look away from me or let me alone for an instant, O oh, watcher of men? The thought of God's gaze can be terrifying because God knows everything about us, absolutely everything, including the things that we have done when we are alone, the thoughts that we have that nobody can perceive, but God does, all of our wickedness and rebellion and sin. But amazingly, and here's where the liberation comes, even though God knows everything about us, he loves us. And yet he does not cast us off as we see supremely in the cross of Christ. God knows everything about us. And yet, he loves us and is willing to make us know, known. And so God reconciles this paradox for us because once we um, experience the terror of the observed life, but then experience the love that God offers us at the same time, even though he knows us, you're secure. 
What man can terrify you? What woman can terrify you? You're okay. And so we can open ourselves up to the intimacy that we long for. Not that we tell everybody everything about us. God already knows about those things. But rather we know that we are loved and we are lovable. And so it can open us up to intimacy once again. Let me just pray for us and we'll head out. Dear Lord, we do thank you that um, you have loved us and you have revealed yourself as a God who even dies for those who have who have rebelled against you and revolted against you. I pray, Father, for the students here, those who are feeling unstable in certain relationships or insecure or uncomfortable in social situations, that you would give them such a deep and profound understanding of your love for them and that they would feel a safety that blows the mind and that they would experience a peace that passes all understanding, the peace that only you can give. Speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit, now and allow the portions of this message that we really needed to hear to go down deep. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.